Lions fans. It's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. Hello, Detroit Lions fans. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Lions Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Risden, working solo this week. Uh, Chris is traveling for business with his real job, uh, so I thought I'd uh, handle the reins for a little bit this week. So we're going to have a little bit of a tighter show, solo show. Uh, it's going to be based primarily on what's going on in the world. Um, normally we do this as a mailbag segment, and we got a lot of good like questions that weren't necessarily specifically for a mailbag, so we're going to sort of adapt those into a show. Uh, we're going to do this in pieces and parts, so uh, let's get to it. All right. Recording this on uh, Tuesday evening, uh, and it was a pretty eventful day. Uh, we're going to get caught up on the news a little bit before we get into uh, breaking down what we saw in the win over the Chargers, which was fantastic, and also uh, what is coming ahead in the next couple of weeks uh, with games uh, coming up against the Bears and then the Packers and a chance for the Lions to really run away with the NFC North. Um, no disrespect to the Minnesota Vikings, but the Lions got this if they want it, and I think they do. Uh, but anyways, uh, today there was some news that came out that, that you know, it's unfortunate we got to start with it the, the, uh, on a down note, but Big V, Halakula Vadi Vaitai now on injured reserve. Now looking good for uh, for Big V to be be back. Um, certainly not the, for the rest of this year. Uh, this he went on with a back injury. It's it's related to the injury that made him miss all of 2022. It's not related to the knee injury that wiped him out for three or four weeks earlier this season. Big guy just can't stay healthy, uh, and it sucks because uh, he found his home at right guard, was a pretty good one, was a good starting right guard. Uh, the Lions are blessed to have Graham Glasgow come in uh, to take over that spot. And now, uh, you know, we're going to have time to talk more about Big V's legacy and his future with the team. I think we all kind of know, like, don't expect really much from him again. Uh, this is a guy who could very well retire at the end of the season. And uh, if that's the case, Big V, I wish you well, man. You, you gave it everything you had. You tried. Um, I thought you redeemed yourself very nicely in Detroit. Uh, look, it's not your fault. It is not Big V's fault that he signed the contract that he did with the regime that he did. Uh, don't take that out on him. He moved into guard, became pretty good took a pay cut to stay with the team to keep his job and played pretty well when he was healthy. A very good run blocker. He also deserves a tremendous amount of credit for the calming influence and mentorship that he provides to the guy to his right, Panay Sewell. Uh, Their connection as Pacific Islanders cannot be understated. It's, uh, it's a very real thing. Uh, Big V um, was, was sort of like an, an older brother mentor, you know, life teacher for him, a sounding board um, and uh, for Sewell. And Sewell will be very quick to tell anybody that uh, that he, he's going to be missed. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can get back and, and healthy and, you know, be okay in his post-football life. But it uh, kind of looks like it's not going to be much more football for 
for Big B, who's 30. Yeah, let's spin it forward. Lions have Graham Glasgow as their starter now. Played pretty darn well against the Chargers. Has has had his moments this season. Has has looked like a capable starter. Uh, that's great. Colby Sorestall moves into the uh, the number two or the number three guard role. This is where Chris yells at me because I'm off focus, but uh, we're going to keep going on this. Yeah, so Sorestall is going to get a chance to prove himself. Uh, hopefully, hopefully not in meaningful games. You know, hopefully, you know, Glasgow stays well and. And Jonah Jackson plays uh, the way he did in week, 11, week 10 because, uh, my goodness, uh, he destroyed the Chargers. He and Taylor Decker, um, look, I, I know I know Sewell pitched a perfect shutout against Joey Bosa. <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little bit, but don't sleep on how good Jonah Jackson and Frank right now, for that matter, and Taylor Decker and Grand Westcott. <laughs> the entire line was pretty darn good. Uh, Sorestall moves into the top reserve spot there. That means that Dan Skipper probably goes back to uh, being the full-time swing tackle if they need it, which I kind of like for him. Uh, he was he was a, a healthy scratch in the last game, so you know they 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 have a little bit better depth than they've had. They did sign Michael Schofield. Michigan fans probably remember him. Uh, he t- he uh, will be turning thirty-three by the time you watch this. His birthday is Wednesday. Bounced around a lot, played for Chicago last year. If you watched the Bears last year, you'll know that their offensive line was wretched, and unfortunately, he was a part of that. But look, you're going for for anything you can get at this point. Uh, there is not quality capable depth out there to sign. It's just it doesn't exist. It's not there, folks. So uh, getting Michael Schofield, you know what, is worth it. You know, Michigan guy, Michigan man, I should say, honor the Wolverines as much as you can in these days. Let you calm down for a second there. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's worthwhile. And he's a guy that can play right guard, right tackle, has starting experience, has over 40 games of starting experiences. It's, it's worth a shot. You know, see, see what he's got. Uh, they also signed uh, Kindle, Vil- Kindle Vildor, a uh, cornerback who uh, basically, you probably remember him from being pulled from the Bears game against the Lions last year because he couldn't cover anybody. Again, this time of year, you're 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 scraping the barrel for what's available, even for the practice squad. These these are practice squad moves. Uh, they did get rid of Divino Zigbo uh, and Anthony Averett. And uh, props to you if you knew that Anthony Averett was actually still on the practice squad. Uh, I was aware of his existence, but I did not remember uh, off the top of my head that he was on the Lions practice squad. So there's your roster moves. Let's move on. First off. Gotta have the the drink here. I gotta I gotta I gotta give a little toast um to my man Huge for setting me up. Uh I was in Ohio last week and could not get this. It's a limited release from Founders. Uh thanks to Bill and producer Brett for picking that up for me while I was gone. Um they know the way to my heart is through good beer and that this is good. So cheers on a great win, Lions fans. Drink up. That's really good. Founders did it again. Good for y'all. All right. Back to football. Let's talk a little bit about that win. 41-38. Not exactly the way any of us drew it up in our heads. Not exactly the way we expected it to go. But a win is a win. And I actually like the fact that the Lions won in a shootout. They went toe-to-toe. With Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, 
Keenan Allen, a pretty good offensive line with arguably the best left tackle in football in Rayshon Slater. We're going to talk more about that in a minute, too. And they outscored them. Five touchdowns in a row. Yeah, we're going to talk about the defense and how complicit they were in that. But the Chargers scored five touchdowns in their last five drives, and the Lions still won the game in Los Angeles. Dan Campbell, I thought, had a very good post-game speech about it, and I think the, the way that a lot of the national media has sort of handled this has been focused on this point. We won the game. It was not the way you wanted to win, but it shows that the Lions can score with anybody. Like, that's a, that's a great offense. They beat them. I, I, I feel like, like the focus is on the fact that we gave up the 38 instead of the fact that the Lions scored 41. And, like, I get that. Um, I don't want to give up 38 ever again. <laughs> that was bad. But, well, I scored 41 points and got a win on the road against a team that had playoff aspirations on probably not so much anymore. Uh, but that, that's a really good offense that they outscored, and I celebrate that. I love that. I, I love the fact that the Lions went out and did that. And, uh, you know, the way that Jared Goff played, a prophetics air player of the week. You will probably learn whether he won that or not by the time you see this. As I'm recording this, I don't know that he's going to win. Uh, but, uh, he was great, made fantastic decisions, did not put a single ball in peril, loved it. I thought Goff was on top of his game, mixing it around to different receivers. I thought he was was very aggressive in attacking down the field. I thought that Ben Johnson called a great game for him to run that with. Um, now obviously, the red zone probably needs a little bit of work, but my goodness, Goff was dialed in, man. Amon Ross St. Brown, great game. Sam Laporta. Quiet early, but when they needed him, he came through. Brock Wright, touchdown. I want want to talk about the Brock Wright touchdown, because this is a play that not a lot of teams can do. This is your backup tight end. I don't want to say called. He's a number two tight end. Calling him a backup is disrespectful. I don't mean to do that, because he does does actually start some games. He's not your alpha tight end. And the fact that they ran a play, the way that they ran it, with the play-action fake, that Jared Goff sold and Jameer Gibbs sold so much that the CBS cameras didn't catch Brock Wright catching the ball until he actually caught it. Like, they didn't know that the ball was going in the air. That's how good it was. If you watch the Chargers' reactions, they're all going for the run. They all are keyed on, on Jameer. And there's Brock Wright running free. Her perfect touch pass. Perfect pass by Goff. Hit him right in the hands. Babied it in. Brock Wright charges into the end zone. That's a play not many teams have in their back. Not many teams are running that against that defense with that defensive front because that's a team where if you run play action, you still, you still got to get that ball out quick because they're all men. It's a really good defensive front, and the Lions offensive line smothered them and allowed plays like that. The run game. David Montgomery gashing on the 75-yard run, 75-yard touchdown run. He made a couple of great moves on that. Yes, Jamison Williams is a lot of credit for his block. Yes, there was great blocking throughout. David Montgomery is the slow back, folks. He outran the Chargers defense with a little help from his friends. That's okay. 
the tightrope walk that he did on the sideline. Wow. That's so one of the things that we talk about a lot, and we discuss this in the Detroit Lions Patreon Slack, which is uh worth your worth your $5 a month. Trust me, it really is. It's been great. By the way, Slack, y'all been on it. I'm 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 proud of y'all for for having good discussions this week. Um and last week too. It's been fun, it's been healthy, it's been uh the right amount of of debate without getting personal, which is which is where I like that to go. You, I love having debates about the Detroit Lions. I don't like having arguments. There's a difference. The Slack gets that. Social media, message boards, really get that so much. At least on my experience, anyways. It's really not in the games, that's for sure. But I digress. But just the one-two punch that they had um, is very different, more dynamic than what we had in DeAndre Swift and Jamal Wind. Jamal Williams is not making that David Montgomery run. DeAndre Swift in Detroit was not making a couple of those runs that 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 you saw Jameer Gibbs make. Like he making him in Philly this year. Good for him. Good for him. You know what? It wasn't going to work for him in Detroit. It just wasn't. He was not a great team culture fit, even after Deuce Staley was gone. He was just not, not a guy that this regime was going to trust. For whatever reason, right or wrong, uh, good for him to you in Philly. But uh, I think you have to be happy if you're a Lions fan that you've got Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery running the way that they are. And that offensive line, yeah, we're, I couldn't ignore that. When we went into the game, wrote my game preview, the thing that I do every Sunday morning. I write it uh, while I'm drinking my Sunday morning coffee. It's my last second thoughts and final score prediction. And my biggest source of trepidation for the Chargers game was their defensive front. Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Morgan Fox, who's the best defensive taffy you've not heard of. Tuli, 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 Tuli Palutu, rookie, leads all rookies in sacks and tackles for loss. Great pass rusher, young pass rusher out of USC, a guy that the Lions did like in the draft. They didn't, didn't. They, they they saw fit to, to take a couple other positions that I think we're going to be pretty happy with those. But uh, he's been he's been very good. They didn't sniff Jared Goff. The official NFL um, it's called NFL Jesus NFL GSIS. Uh, we call it NFL Jesus. Um, the ironic he's hear me say the ironic part of that is that the the game like the behind the scenes things where we get our quotes and everything is NFL OMG, so it's NFL, oh my God, and NFL Jesus. We have fun with that. But NFL GSIS, the official game statistics by the league, credited the Chargers with one QB hit and two QB pressures. Uh, Mac got one, and their linebacker got one. Bosa, shut out by Panay Sewell. Tulipolotu, shut out by Taylor Decker. Khalil Mack got one, and it was a play where Taylor Decker like sort of ran into Jonah Jackson like a little... It, it, was, it was more of a snafu than a mistake. And, uh, you know, th- that's how they got it. They got nothing up the gut. When they did blitz, and it wasn't often, the backs were there, the tight ends were there, or Goth got rid of the ball fast enough in a, in a quick hit office reading it. That, that was one of the things that really impressed me about Goff was how how in command of what the defense was trying to do to him he was with his offensive sets and how he was seeing the field. And it was great offense. It was great. 
give a lot of credit to that line, though. Man, thank that that's a really good Chargers front, and the, you, there were a couple of you can you can search for them on social media or message boards or whatever. But uh, there were a couple of runs where the Lions' offensive line reestablished the line of scrimmage a couple of yards down the field very quickly. That's not easy to do against that line, and that's one of the big ways that the Lions won that football game, and that made me very happy. So normally I do these in one straight take, but uh, I, I need. So uh, after the break, where uh, hopefully producer Ash edits these things, we'll put a little something in here to to have fun with it. But when we when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the defense uh, because that's a side that everybody seems to want to focus on, and uh, probably with good reason. All right, first segment. Was pretty happy. Talk about the offense and the Chargers win. Yeah, let's talk about the defense now. Thirty-eight points or four hundred yards, zero sacks, and that's probably where we need to focus because that seems to be what everybody wants to talk about. Um, from the uh, rather virulent and predominant comments during the game that came to me on social media about Aiden Hutchinson being invisible, about Aiden Hutchinson sucking ass, about Aiden Hutchinson being a bust. Why do we keep propping him up? Um, And then on the other side of that coin, there are a lot of people making, oh, Aiden Hutchinson's playing great. You know, he's, he's doing fantastic. He just needs a lot more help. Um, the guys around him are doing squadoosh, um, and where I come down out of somewhere in the middle, uh, which often happens, as you might know, Aiden played pretty well, generated pressure on his own about as well as can be expected against a pretty good offensive line. I know the Chargers PFF rank is like 16th or 17th. Their tackles are better than that. They have pretty good tackles. Now, a lot of that's Rayshon Slater on the other side, and, and we'll get to him in a second. But I want to talk about Eden Hutchinson, because that's all anybody wanted to talk about after the game uh, and on social media and on radio spots, podcast spots. What's going wrong with Aiden Hutchinson? How come he's not getting to the quarterback? Well, he kind of did get to the quarterback, and in fact, he and... Uh, Alex Anzalone on blitzes were pretty much the only people that got anywhere near Justin Herbert in that game. Hutchinson was very good when given a single block. And I did the film study review earlier today. Again, I'm recording this on Tuesday. You'll probably be seeing this on Wednesday. Um, Hopefully you're seeing this on Wednesday. Hopefully it uploads in time. But when he had single blocking, he was pretty good. Uh, I would say he won more than he lost on that. When double teamed, I think he had one win where he he cleanly beat a double team, and it was with an inside spin move, and he just got that really good. The issue is, is that he's not finishing the pressures, and this is something that has been a little bit of an issue for him throughout his career. He finishes in bunches, uh, but uh, he did not get any of those. He got he, there, and I I will say this as somebody who does. Tend to lean on the defending Hutch side because I think what he's doing is really impressive. 
And I think he's a very high end player. Just doesn't have the high end results, but has the process to get there and is gr- growing into it. He does. If he gets a, a firm paw on quarterback, quarterback needs to go down. And he has missed a couple of those opportunities. He missed a couple of opportunities on that. And Justin Herbert, he's got to do better on that. Won't, won't, won't fight that one bit. I think he will probably tell you that too. But, and there's kind of a big butt there. We're talking, you know, big butt. There's got to be guys on the other side or guys around him who can help him finish. They were non-existent. They were the invisible men in Los Angeles. And they've been that way in a couple other games, too. Notably, the Kings of Lions have lost. Baltimore, Seattle uh, fit those bills. Again, I'm going to start this by giving a whole lot of praise to Rayshon Slater, their left tackle. This is a guy who, so back in the 2021 draft, um, people who, who follow along the podcast might remember this. Uh, I had Slater and Panay Sewell ranked right next to each other in the draft slot, and I had Slater ahead of Sewell by one spot. And most of that was the fact that he was going to play left tackle, and I knew that Panay was going to play right tackle, and I, at that point, more still believed, still kind of do, but not. I, I've seen enough compelling evidence to, to, to say otherwise. Now, the left tackle is more important. Um, and I do think that it maybe gets like a slight edge where it's like 52 to 48. Uh, but, but they're both, they're both phenomenal players. Like there's, there's absolutely no reason to not be ecstatic to the moon with having arguably the best right tackle in football in Pene Sewell because he allows, he allows Jared Goff to, to never have to have pressure in his face. And if you know it about Jared Goff, we talked about this on our telethon. We talked about this in a couple other shows. The way to bother Jared Goff is pressure in his face. He doesn't like that. That's when he gets scared. If it's coming from the backside and he doesn't see it, it doesn't really impact him. He might get strip sacked a time or two, but he's going to make better throws. He does not want to see pressure. That's right tackle. That's right guard. That's why you have Panay over there. That's why it was so critical that Panay kicked Joey Bosa's ass. Let Rayshon Slater at left tackle is he's very different ty- style of player. I'm going to tell you who he reminds me. Of. He reminds me of Joe Thomas, and I'm waiting to be struck down by the the football gods. The Roman god of football testicles doesn't take lightly to that, but uh, he's really, really good, folks. <laughs> and if you watch the game film and you strip away the fact that he's like dominating Charles Harris, Josh Pascal. Quarter brothers, whoever's out there, he's just completely annihilating them. Um, it's actually pretty like, like, wow, man, this guy's really, really good. And I don't want that to get lost because he deserves a lot of the credit for that. But go back to the big butt. Why this guy's got to do better? Like, you got to find a way to beat one guy like that. Their weakness is their left guard. Lions didn't really attack that very well. I didn't think Aline McNeil had a very good game. I don't think John Kaminsky had a very good game at all. But the two guys that really stood out as struggling, Josh Paschal, 37 snaps, 
did not make a single play. Not one pressure, not one tackle, not one forced penalty, nothing. And if you watch the game tape, you'll be hard it, it'll be hard to find him. He was he was beaten pretty badly, and that's frustrating because that's the player that I like, the player that I have hopes for. He's got to be better than that. Uh, no bones about it. Romeo Aquara, the way he played in that game looks like he never needs to play in the NFL again. Now, obviously, that's an overreaction based on one game. He was really bad. Uh, and the fact that he, he doesn't have the ability to, to, he doesn't use his hands well to get off contact. And that's something that, that we're seeing a little bit with Pascal now, too. If Pascal doesn't win initially, he's not really winning the second effort moves. Just doesn't have that. Hutchinson, by the way, does have that. John Kaminsky can do that. Julian O'Quara can do that and did that a couple of times in this game. But, uh, you know, Herbert got the ball out quickly as well. That was also part of the reason why they didn't, they didn't really sniff him. Uh, they ran a very quick offense that uh, they got the ball out quickly. When it felt like they could get pressure, Herbert was really good at getting the ball out. Um, and he deserves some credit for that, too. Yeah, the defense has to be better than that. Um, you, you've got to be able to get some appreciable pressure without having to blitz two guys. Look what happened when they did get pressure. Alex Anzalone early in the game. Gets a hit, gets pressure on, on Herbert, throws an interception. Kirby Joseph, phenomenal catch along the sideline. It was great. Pretty much the only play the secondary really made, too. Well, I take that back. They got, they got their hands on five balls. That was the only one that they broke up. You know, um, I do still want to give a lot of credit to the, the Chargers' offense, but Lions' defense was not good in this one. They're at their best. Look, we've had this conversation before, but we have to have it again because it doesn't change. When the Lions are the aggressors, when they are dictating the game to the offense rather than letting the offense create and, and dictate to them and to Aaron Glenn what he's going to do, when they when they're the aggressor, they're pretty good. We've seen that all year. We saw that, that we saw that at the end of last year. Easy for me to say. Easy for me to say them for Aaron Glenn to do. He gets too caught up in being passive, read reactive, and when the pass rush isn't there, they don't have the corners that can lock it down. Look, Cam Sutton's a very good cornerback. He's not locking down. He's not locking down Keenan Allen. Even if he traveled with him. And there were a couple of times in the game where he did travel with them. You know what? Keenan Allen beat him. Um, they don't have the corners to do that. You've got to have the pass rush to help the corners get that. Jerry Jacobs, guilty of a pass interference. Um, and thank God he was because that was a touchdown if he wasn't interfering with him. Cam Sutton had another one. Not the one in the end zone either, but an, another one where he got called for a pass interference call where if he doesn't interfere, it's a touchdown because he's beaten. Um, I, I actually give them a little bit of credit, and I, I get. I'm going to give that credit to Brian Duker, the defensive backs coach, for teaching them that hey, if you're beat, risk the penalty um, and, and commit it if you have to, rather than get beat for the touchdown. Live, live another day, play another snap. They just don't, they don't have a sauce gardener, you know. They don't ha they don't have that guy who can lock down a Keenan Allen. Not that it's easy to lock down a Keenan Allen, but um, that was that was another thing that came out after the game that I. And look, I know Keenan Allen's been really good. He's one of the highest graded receivers that I ever graded in the draft process. He's been around a long time, and he's got really strong Hall of Fame credentials. 
know, he gets overlooked a little bit because he's played in, in, in the Chargers organization for his career and they haven't had a lot of wins. He's, he stacks up, folks. He's, he's good. Um, but the Lions have to have a better plan at that. And the bracket coverage that they tried, I don't think they did very well. And this is a game where the linebackers did not play well. And I will lump them all into it. But there were two specifically that really let me down. One of them was Jack Campbell and the other one was Derek Barnes. I think they both had their worst games of the season. Again, some of it is the fact that they're playing the Chargers, that the Chargers are going up-tempo. The Chargers are doing things offensively that they haven't really seen a lot of. Um, Herbert loves to throw, throw those deep, intermediate crossing routes from the pocket. Lamar Jackson throws those from outside. Geno Smith sort of throws those from moving around. Petra Mahal sort of throws those from moving around. It's a different look, and uh, Barnes and Campbell, they weren't up. They, quite frankly, weren't up for it. I don't think they, they got enough depth in their drops um, when they were dropping in, in the coverage and, and playing the underneath roles. They were a little bit late to, to rec- recognize things, and the, the Chargers exploited them. And that's, they got to do a better job at that. This was a game where I thought that Jet Campbell could have used a break. And it's not that I'm out on Jet Campbell. It's not that I think that he's bad, that I think he's none of that. This was a matchup where a rookie linebacker was struggling with things that he hasn't been asked to do a lot of. Remember, the Lions have been playing him at the Sam, blitzing him or rushing him a lot. He hasn't been doing a lot in coverage, specifically in coverage with, with wide receivers doing the things that the Chargers wide receivers and their speedy tight ends do. He was overwhelmed. It showed. It was a bad game. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that it was a bad game and not something that he's going to get buried for. Um, sorry, I, I know there's people that want to go, oh, he's a boss, he sucks. Like He had a bad game. Um, hasn't had a great season. Hasn't had a season commensurate, commensurate with what you would expect of a number 18 pick. But he hasn't been a... It's not like we're watching Jared Davis or Ernie Sims out there. We're, we're, we're seeing good things. It's just, this, this this was a rough spot for him. And I also think that Derek Barnes, really don't like seeing him in coverage. Um, and the, the one touchdown that they got, uh, he, he, he just didn't see what he was supposed to do. He's not a coverage guy. Uh, that, was, that was a play where Anzalone should have been on the field. I, I wanted to see more of Rodrigo, actually. Rodrigo, for all of his physical limitations, does see these things pretty well and does react to them. This was actually a, a game where I wouldn't have minded to see Jalen Reeves Maven get some shots at that. Yeah. Yeah. Get the linebackers off the field and play more defensive backs. With Brian Braves playing the way that he was, you could use Will Harris. And I, again, I'm going to be struck down by this here. I would rather have Will Harris in those coverage situations, specifically in the red zone coverage situations, than I want a rookie linebacker in Jack Campbell or that I want a between the tackles, thumper sort of linebacker in Derek Barnes. Um, Harris might not be able to do it either, but at least he's got reactive speed. He's got the athleticism to try to do things a little bit differently. And I think that would have, I, I think this was a game where you could have seen a, a, a change there. I believe he played five snaps. Wanted to see more of, more of something different. And that was my frustration with Aaron Glenn in this game was that 
early on, they actually did a pretty good job. If you remember the beginning of the game, they were in control and, and did good things defensively because they were punching. They weren't, they weren't rope and open. They were, they were, they were the aggressor. They were swinging and they got away from that. That bothers me. So that keeps happening with Aaron Glenn. It's got to stop. I know that Dan Campbell sees that. I know he does. I know Aaron Glenn sees it. I need to see Aaron Glenn step up and say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make some better adjustments in game on that. So I think that's where he's having his issues in, in, in games like that. Baltimore game. Okay. I'm going to throw that one out because that they just, they had their number. It was one of those days. Some days you're the, some days you're the talk. Some days you're the hydrant on that day. And they were the hydrant. Chargers game, I thought early on, they had a shot at really doing a lot of things there. And they, for whatever reason, they got complacent. They got less aggressive. Um, again, the Chargers deserve some credit for, for going more up-tempo, not allowing the substitutions, um, keeping a little bit more stress on the defense. And the Lions didn't wear that stress very well. I'm not sure that there's another team on the schedule that can do that uh, outside of maybe Dallas late in the season. Minnesota's a nice story. Probably need to start taking them seriously as a potential first-round playoff opponent because they don't appear to be going away anytime soon. And then, man, good for Josh Dobbs. What a what an easy guy to root for. I look. I know you don't want to root for the Vikings, but this is remember when he was in Detroit was nothing but a good soldier. He's one of the smartest guys in the league. He literally is a rocket scientist, and he's a much better rocket scientist than Matt Patricia was. Uh, this is this is a rocket scientist that you want to see succeed, just uh, not not the two weeks a year that he's playing Detroit. That's. I really hope that that lesson gets learned, uh, because look, you're playing the Bears this this said Sunday, get the Packers next Thursday. Those are quarterbacks where if you if you get in their face, I don't care if it's Tyson Bajan or Justin Fields, you pressure him, you put you put the impetus on him to make decisions, you stress him instead of him stressing you, they're going to make mistakes. Jordan Love, you know he's going to make mistakes. That's what he does. The Packers do not handle, they just don't handle that all that well. They don't handle that as a team very well this year. Um, do it, Glenn. Could have, uh, Hit the pause here, and we'll come back, um, and we'll talk a little bit about Dan Campbell, Aaron Glenn, Texas A&M, and a few things more. Sip of the juice here. That hits the spot. My version of Hollow the Blue Kool-Aid. Let's talk about Dan Campbell and the links to... What Links, links to the Texas A&M coaching job. <laughs> Sorry, I can't keep a straight face to it. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Look. I'm not going to speak for the people who wrote that. And I, I'll be honest, I don't know who wrote it. I know it came from CBS. I don't know who wrote it at CBS. And there are a lot of people there that I like, that I respect. I'm hoping that this wasn't one of them. Uh, when you're, what happens when jobs open 
And the Texas A&M job is open because they are paying Jimbo Fisher $75 million to go away. Just startling in and of itself. Um, and it's not a very good job. It's not an attractive job. And I say that as somebody who used to live in the Houston area has been to, I, I was, I lived there in the Manziel era in the Mike Evans era. Uh, I actually saw Mike Evans and Manziel play three times at, in, uh, in college station. Um, it's not a great job. It's not an easy job, but when jobs open, you always look for links and what links are there? Well, there's a lot of guys that have connections to people who've coached at the school or people who maybe played at the school. And that's where Dan Campbell comes in. And somehow his name gets lumped in as a potential successor to Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak for the person who wrote it because I again I don't know who it was, but I'm gonna guess that this is a case of let me think who played at Texas A&M who's, who's coach who's popular who can I get clicks by putting in a piece nothing more than that. I will be beyond stunned if Dan Campbell, honestly, I'll be surprised if he ever has to address it because this is not a question that anybody in the Detroit media will ask, should ask, or should be expected to ask. It's a nothing burger. Now, there's another guy on the Lions staff who happened to have played at Texas A&M, who happens to be a pretty accomplished, experienced coach, Aaron Glenn. That's right. Played at Texas A&M, too. His long-term footing in Detroit is not anywhere close to what Dan Campbell's is. He's not making Dan Campbell money. He does not have that level of job security. If Texas A&M throws $10 million a year at Aaron Glenn, and they could, and they might, he's a damn fool if he doesn't take it. And I, again, I, I like Aaron Glenn. I think he can work as a defensive coordinator in Detroit. I think we've seen enough to know that he can, but do we trust him? Not too, but I can't. Sorry, AG, I can't. You do a pretty good job, but you need to do better. And if there's a chance for you to exit and get a head coaching job, whether it's in the NFL or at your alma mater, I would encourage you to go for it. Remember, college football pays so much better than the NFL. If you're an assistant in the NFL to going to be a college head coach and SEC school like Texas A&M, he's going to make more there than Dan Campbell makes it at, in Detroit. That's the one that I would look at. And again, I don't know if AG has one iota of interest in it. But if you're going to approach any Detroit Lions coach about taking over at Texas A&M, AG is the one you go after, not Dan Campbell. That's about all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the Bears. I'm going to go forward a little bit here. Move it forward. Push it up a notch. 
Lions are seven and two. Got a real chance to go to eight and two. They're playing the Bears. Don't know who the quarterback's going to be yet. It probably will be Tyson Bajant. Rhymes with agent. Um, that was Cameron and Norris at the Seaver last year. Be prepared when you watch the game to learn a lot about Mr. Bajant, Tyson's dad, who made a living as a professional arm wrestler. I did meet Mr. Bajant. I shook his hand at the Senior Bowl. He's a, he shakes the hand the way you expect of a professional arm wrestler, dude. He's a great story. He's out of D2 Shepherd University. He has been better than I expected him to be, and I fully admit that. He had beaten the Lions. Sorry. <laughs> They've gotten better. And I will say this, and I will say this clearly. Right now, the Chicago Bears are a better football team and a bigger threat to the Detroit Lions than the Green Bay Packers are. Don't sleep on the Bears. And I think that Dan Campbell knows that. And he sort of made that admission in uh, a press spot that he did today, uh, talking about how the Bears, he thinks they might be better than the Chargers. I don't buy that. I do buy that they're dangerous. That if the Lions don't have their at least B-plus game, they could lose this game. I don't expect that. I'm not picking that. But the Bears are they're quietly getting a little bit better. Their offensive line's coming together a little bit better. Um, Bajit has done things with their receivers that have given their receivers a little bit more confidence. Cole Komet's coming out of the shells as a, uh, as a tight end. That guy's a little bit of a problem. That This is a game where Jack Campbell and Derek Barnes, if they're beat, relied upon in coverage, need to play better than they did against the Chargers because Komet can beat you specifically in the red zone where the Lions defense has not been good. This is a game where uh, the Lions seem to, to, to be on. I, I think they're going to win comfortably, but it's one of those where I think it's 30 to 20. Maybe maybe they get a late field goal to make it like 31-17, something like that. I In that range, but uh, I do think, I, I absolutely believe this is a tougher game than what the Packers will be on Thanksgiving because the Packers right now are finding ways to lose. And that's a dangerous spot for a young football team. They are the youngest football team in the league. The Bears, while they're not always successful at it, are starting to look like a team that might be able to win, might be able to beat a team. I don't think the Packers are there. And if you watch them play the Steelers, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. Like they, there's, they're just not there. <laughs> the Bears are a little bit more there. I don't think the Bears are as talented as the Packers, but I think they're a better football team. I mean, the better team doesn't always win. Uh, so that's where I'm at on the next couple of games. Uh, I don't know if Chris and I are going to be able to do a live show next week before uh, Wednesday or not, and I will be busy Wednesday. That is sort of my family's Thanksgiving celebration. So uh, um, maybe Tuesday, Chris and I have talked about that. Uh, if not, we will do something. Um, Chris might do it on his own. He might do it with, with Sandman or Ash or somebody uh, to come in uh, and do it. We have a nice roster of talent here. Um, by the way, quick shout out. Brown and Bish, Bish and Brown, y'all can do great with these videos. I love them. Can't wait for more of them. Give it to me. Great. Um, had a good talk with Russ today uh, behind the scenes. Uh, 
from Lions Wire uh, talking about Bruce Irvin. Oh, we got to talk about Bruce Irvin. Oh, my goodness. It slipped my mind in the earlier segment. This is why This is why I don't do it solo. This is why I need Chris. Keep me focused. Keep me dialed in because I actually have the outline right here and uh, I ignored it. Lions are signing Bruce Irvin to the per- practice squad. This is what you get at this time of year. Look, I know he's a name. Former first-round pick. Had a couple of pretty nice years with the Raiders. Had one fairly decent year with the Seahawks. We're like, yeah, okay, all right, yeah. Yeah, I know who that guy is. Yeah, go get him. He's still available for a reason. He's going on the practice squad and not the active roster for a reason. Keep your expectations low. He has, I wrote this down. I had to write this down. He's 36 years old now. He has 3.5 sacks since 2019. That's four seasons, less than a sack a season. Two of those came in one game last year against Hack Up in Los Angeles. That was the Baker Mayfield game. Week, week 18, uh, the, the Lions needed the Rams to win. Bruce Irvin helped, helped crap on that. Um, got two sacks in that game. He has 1.5 other sacks this century, or this, this decade. Sorry, this decade, not century. Centuries, centuries, that decade. 2020, 2021, 2022. He hasn't played in 2023. 3.5 sacks. He's always been a below average, and I'm going to be charitable in calling him a below average run defender. He is a pure pass rusher, and what this move says to me, he is a tacit acknowledgement by the Lions that James Houston ain't coming back this year, or he's at least buying time until James Houston comes back. And I'll refer you to the interview that we did with Dr. Jimmy Liao on the 24-hour podcast. It's available in the videos. Search on the YouTube channel. Um, search the one with Dr. Jimmy Liao because he talked about the injury and the recovery and the expectation that you should have for James Houston, which is that you probably shouldn't expect to see him anytime before Christmas. And even then, you're pushing it with the injury that he had, with the way that he plays, with the style and of athleticism that he uses. The injury that he had is a very severe one, is a very limiting one, and it's not. Great. Bruce Irvin was sort of that guy before James Houston. Pure pass rusher. He either beats you with his first move and then like, or tries to get by you on hustle and hope that you make a mistake, or you're going to put him on his ass. Like that, that, that's who Bruce Irvin's been for his entire career. He was a first round pick, had a up and down career, had, had his moments, um, fit very well in Pete Carroll's defense in Seattle an aggressive defense that goes after the quarterback that dictates to the office what they can do. Aaron Glenn, feel me, AG? Feel me? Please? So, I'm not opposed to Bruce Irvin signing. He's the best. You can get out there, go for it. I would rather sign him than JPP, although I think JPP actually went off the market earlier this week, so. At this time of year, If you have anything left, a team would have found you already. Again, Bruce Irvin, 
last couple of years, not much. Doesn't mean that he's not worth trying. See what he's got. Bring him in. Bring him in the trip into uh, into the practice squad. Let him see what he can do. But uh, don't expect him to be playing a lot over. This is not a Charles Harris replacement. This is not them hitting Rick and Romeo Okora. It's just not what it is. I know. I know you want to believe that, but I I I can't believe that. I can't. Um. Nope. Let, let's see what he's got. Maybe, maybe he maybe he can contribute. Maybe maybe he clicks with uh, John Scott. Maybe he clicks with Kelvin Shepard. Maybe he clicks with with Aaron Glenn. Um, it could it could happen. Look, there are worse players to try out here. The guy who has had some playoff pelts on his wall too has played well in some big games in his career. I see what he's got. Let, let's see if he can recapture some of that. Heck yeah! Uh, but uh, this is not the answer to the pass for us, problem that the Lions have. Maybe it is. It's more of a lottery ticket than a uh, an investment. Worthwhile, though. There's my there's my diatribe or discussion. <laughs> I need to make up words like Christmas. I'm Bruce Urban. Let's hope for the best on it. We'll see. More the shot. Uh, but again, I'm keeping my expectations pretty low on it. Um... What else do we got here? Ah, <laughs> diapers. Like y'all know how I feel about the uh, the gimmicky things, the ski mask. Nice in theory, but if it doesn't work, it looks really stupid, and it looked really stupid. I go back to the Houston Texans and their Letterman jackets. Work looks great. Awesome idea if it works. If it doesn't, it looks really freaking stupid. Looks really freaking stupid. So Dan Campbell, in his radio interview with Stoney and Jansen. Um, by the way, God bless you, Stoney. Hope you really enjoy your retirement when you get there because you're a you're good dude. You are. Um, I don't really listen to their show. Not really. I, I don't. I'm out of earshot of 97.1. I don't, I've listened to maybe in total in my life, 30 minutes of that channel, but I've gotten to know Stoney a little bit, just being around the Lions camp um, when he's out there in the summer and uh, I like him and uh, he's a good guy uh, and I appreciate him. Uh, and he had very nice things to say about me and he's, he's hired Jim Costa, who is um, a fantastic guy. And I will try to listen to Jim's show more because uh, I love Jim. Um, Costa has been very, very good to me has taught me a lot about being on the radio and being a professional and timing and cadences and playing off one another. And uh, apparently he's known by cookies now, which I kind of like. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, on that channel today, on Tuesday, Danny Campbell was asked um, about the fourth down aggressiveness. And he said that his family wears, tells his family to wear diapers about the risk. If it, because it's scary and bodily things happen when you're scared. It's a great line. It's a great quip. I sincerely hope this does not lead to a rash of, of adult men wearing Depends to Lions games. Now, in the spirit of full disclosure, 
I am an avid concert goer. I like to be near the front. When I go see a show, like Metallica, as an example, and I get a good spot, I'm not giving that up. I'm not. No matter what's going on anywhere with the body, read into that what you want. It was a very ash-feeling segment there. Don't. Don't start wearing diapers, especially don't wear diapers. It's a fun line. It's great. I don't, I really don't want to. I just don't. Sorry. If you want the diapers to be a thing, here's what you can do. In the spirit of the season, there's a lot of young families with young children who could use the help. Buy the diapers. In Dan Campbell's name, give them to a local uh, food pantry, um, homeless shelter, place that deals with underprivileged people. Um, here here on the west side of the state, we have Gilda's Place, among other places. Uh, there, there's actually one, um, uh, a, a place uh, that my wife volunteers at here in, in the Holland area um, that works with um, in needy women and young families that, that are uh, forced out of their homes for, because of abusive situations. If you're going to do the diaper thing, do it the right way and help out people like that. Um, donate in Dan Campbell's name or in the Lions name, Lions fans named. That's awesome. Do something like that. Make something good out of it like that. That's uh, that's the spirit of the season. That's the spirit of, of what I would hope would go on with that. I really don't want to see dudes in diapers. I'm sorry. I just don't. Not my thing. Not my thing at all. We're going to wrap it up. Hopefully, Ash has tied all these little segments together, um, and it looks good, and uh, hopefully I sound fairly good. My hair is not terrible. I'm fairly pleased about that. Uh, we will be back. Obviously, check your, your dailies. Ash run the daily deal at DLP, doing a great job. You'll have stuff from Bishop Brown. Could have some from Zach Moran. He's uh, got a little bit of business going on in, in, his, in his real world job, and his real world job. He's protecting our country, so he's allowed He's allowed to have a little time away if he needs it. God bless you, Zach. I will say, make my final game prediction here, since you won't hear from me begin before the game. I will say that the Lions beat the Bears. Go 31. Uh, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm, I used to do this when I did game predictions for Real GM, and I miss doing those some. I don't miss the time it takes to write them, but I do kind of miss the interactions and stuff like that. I'm going to do a hedged one. If Tyson Bajan is the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears, I think the Brown or the uh, the Bears. I think I think the Lions win. Go 31-20. If Justin Fields is the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears, I think the Lions win 31 to 15. And it's not that I think that Tyson Bajan is better than Justin Fields. I think that Justin Fields is going to be rusty. And I think that the things that he does in attacking down the field are not as good as what Tyson Bajan does when he doesn't have the chemistry working with his receivers. And, and uh, I, if I were the Bears, I'm saying this as if I were a Bears fan, <laughs> I would start Bajan. But um, I'd, I'd, I'd wait a week uh, because Detroit's not an easy place to play. The place is going to be rocking. 
People are going to be, you know, fired up. The defense is going to come back. I predict a very strong defensive performance. I don't know if they're going to get a lot of sacks, but I do expect a couple of turnovers. I expect a lot more pressure. I expect a lot more third and 12 situations than what we saw in the Chargers game. And I think that the Lions defense is going to make fans feel a little bit better about AG and the defensive personnel in general in this game. Uh, and then the Packers game, I'm, I'm going to say it now. That's a chance to go 9-2. and two. Yeah, yeah. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna open a can of cranberry sauce, whoop ass, whatever you want on Thanksgiving. I think they're gonna do it with the Packers. I, I, I think that is the easiest game left on the schedule for the Lions. Uh, so I got two more wins coming up. Feeling pretty good about the Lions getting at least the number two seed. We'll jump off the number one seed. We'll talk about that in, in future episodes here. We'll, we'll save a little bit more for that when I can converse with Chris and uh, and yet back and forth. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's Detroit Lions podcast. Again, we didn't do this live. Chris is traveling. I had to do this one solo. I appreciate y'all bearing with me. I'm hanging in there. Um, I like to talk a little bit. Might know. Um doing solo this is a little bit more than i wanted to talk so uh thanks thanks for tuning in and uh go lions let's bring it here together let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. lions on three one two three yes! you've had enough of that shit